You're listening to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we clarify distinctions between Mormon and Credo Christian thought. I'm Brendan, here with Sky Sky. Sky Sky. We got Sky yes, Sky today. We do. Putting on the Burt's Bees there. I sure am. <laughs> sure am. It's a dry climate around here. It sure is. Gotta survive. I got two <laughs> two waters next to me. Not one water, but yeah. two waters. Ready to stay hydrated. What are you drinking there? Celsius. It's funny. It's trying it. Live fit. Yeah, look at that. Essential energy. Help you be fit. Is that what that is? (laughs) Or as uh, one of my coworkers said, you have to live feet. (laughs) Gives you that energy you so desperately need. Essential. Yeah, let's see. That's to be compared with non-essential. It is clinically proven (laughs) as a dietary supplement. As you drink this, you will burn body fat. Uh, It'll accelerate uh, your metabolism. I'm genuinely embarrassed. I don't even know. I didn't have time <laughs> to pick up a coffee. Just grabbed it. I did, out of the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> trying to see. Oh, oh, here you go. Not recommended for people who are caffeine sensitive, children under 18, or women pregnant or nursing. What are you drinking, man? What, I, is, what seriously. is in this thing? Does it say cause cancer? Yeah, right yeah. here. Please. Oh, no. No, I don't, not yet. No. <laughs> it's just like every other drink we enjoy. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. But it is no sugar and no preservatives. Yeah, whatever that means. And it has a picture of uh, of a guava and a kiwi on it. So Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice, you know, yeah. bottle. Yeah. How's it taste? It's okay. All right. Coffee is better. Yeah, well. I still get hot coffee even in the summer. Yeah, yeah. So, Honestly, I, I would drink that. I'm not judging. Okay. Yeah. The listeners, though, they they might be. They might be, and maybe maybe they should be. I don't. What know. kind of listeners do we have? The kind who would drink that or would not drink that? <laughs> I mean, it's in the health drink category, right? Yeah. Well, so hypothetically, it's for people who are really, you know, intense about being healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Sells great in Utah. I maybe it does. There's well, so many of those drinks out there, though. And even this information, who knows? These percentages, are they rounded? I don't know. But anyway. Hopefully you make it through this podcast. We'll yes. See. And hopefully the listener does, Kill too. Kill over dead over there. We'll as much material. something's going on. Got a lot of stuff today. Yeah. We, we do have a lot of stuff. I, I don't even know how... My brain is spinning right now, so we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah. If this is all confusing, just, uh, you know, see us next week. Yes, <laughs> totally. Should we start with tribute time? I don't think it will be, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah Sky, so Skyler has another tribute. This has been a, fi- a feature, yeah, right? Yeah, it like has of, been. Uh, and, um, yeah, an elder. figures dying. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. To, yesterday was a weird day. Um, so, at work, and a, a dear lady I work with, um, she got a phone call while we were working. She was just a little bit away from me. Mm. All of a sudden, she just starts breaking down, bawling wow. on the phone call. And um, this lady had invited me to her daughter's quinceanera. Right? Um, and the boy that her daughter danced with at the quinceanera, fr- part of the friend group mm. and all that, had died in a car crash. Wow. And um, just a reminder of the fragility of life. We yeah. have no idea when our time will come. Yep. Well, 
along those lines, last week, an elder in the church I was baptized into, Life in Christ CRC, Christian Reformed Church, mm-hmm. um, Tom McClenahan uh, passed away, lost, lost his battle with cancer. And um, yeah, a brother. Um, I, uh, I hope his, you know, wife, you know, remaining family are doing all right. Yeah. He, he preached some good sermons when I was there. Um, you know, I, you know, whether we see eye to eye on every part of the, you know, Heidelberg catechisms or whatever, catechism or whatever, I don't, I don't know. But, um, I actually, I remembered a sermon in particular and it's just so funny when I looked it up, I realized, oh, right. This was July 4th. 2021. So, you know, 4th is next week. Yep. I'm resisting a lecture on what the 4th really was historically. Two the, years ago. Yes. And um, he gave a sermon that morning called The Judgment of the King on Luke 19, 11 through 27, and the parable of the 10 pounds, which he argues in the sermon. It's not about the money. It's about the judgment of the king. That's really the point of the parable. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I I thought I'd share the the end of the sermon. Um, if you don't mind me reading, this is me literally having written it down really quickly this morning. Yeah. So this is after going through the parable, of course. Um, because of who he is, Christ, and what he's about to do, Christ warns us that if we reject him as king, our story will not have a happy ending. Only he is the creator and the king of life. In looking for life without him, we will find only death. There is no hope for anyone apart from the gift King Jesus has for those who trust him. Even if our trust is laced with fear, right, the third servant. Even if what we thought we had turns out to be worthless, under King Jesus' rule, grace will reign supreme. He points out in the sermon, I should probably point out, that the fourth group, they're the ones that they're like, let's put another king in. Even the third one confesses, and Jesus deals with them. Even the wicked servant, he still deals with them. And he doesn't take anything more than what he gave them. Showing, you know, the, the which contrary to what he expected. <laughs> um, anyway, really interesting insights. <clears throat> Under King Jesus' rule, Grace will reign supreme. The best news is that King Jesus is even better than the king in the parable. Jesus was about to take on himself the judgment of death that our sin entails. The time of God's coming that, will, that brings peace was just a few days off. Because he is the king who embodies both judgment and grace, he bears the judgment of the cross for all who trust him, removing us from judgment. He then shares his inheritance with all those who trust him. It turns out it is not the quality of our faith that saves us, but what God has done for us. Salvation is not by works, whether physical, intellectual, moral, or spiritual. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other salvation. He is the way. He is the life. And Jesus pleads with us because apart from his grace, we only prove each day that we are sinners. A cancer has invaded my body in my life again. And I'm reminded of what it means for sinners like me to receive deep healing from God. We don't just need a a bandage to cover a wound. We don't just need a more effective drug. 
We need the death and life that comes by being united to Jesus by faith in order to be truly healed. Far too often, I have acted as if the gospel were a self-improvement therapy plan to heal a wound or to strengthen a muscle or to enhance my own ability to be or do good. But the gospel and its consequences, it's about losing our lives for the sake of Jesus, tasting death to my sinful self in order to experience true life in Christ. God's treatment plan, union with Christ, may feel like poison, this was key for our LDS listeners. It may feel like poison, and it does involve a kind of death, but it also involves a new kind of life and restores us to true human health. For when we cry out for healing mercies from our sin, we are crying out to a crucified and risen Lord who brings us life by uniting us to both his death and his life. That is strong medicine. There is no way to get beyond our sin apart from death. This reality is for all of us. Or, sorry, this is reality for all of us. God's good news is not a better vaccine. We cannot have only resurrection skipping over our union with Christ and his death for our sinful self. We desperately need healing from our sin, and the great physician provides that in the death of Jesus. King Jesus invites you to trust him and put to work the grace he gives you, not for your own gain, but for the good of his kingdom and for the world. In fact, the only thing that we and the servants in the parable ever had to do in the first place was trust the Lord in his grace and let the results be whatever happens. It doesn't matter if it's tenfold, fivefold, or nothing. He loves you. Grace and more grace. Life and more life forever and ever. Thanks be to God in Christ. It's good stuff. So that's Tom McClenahan. And I, I just remember thinking too, you know, it was being, you know, when, when I was um, LDS, um, though I had my issues with this group, I definitely was part of the more Benson, you know, idolatry, the founders, you know, America, rah, rah, rah stuff, mm-hmm. you know, Cleon Scouts and all that stuff. And um, and what a difference it was on July 4th to go into a Christian church. There's, there's no nationalism in there. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This is about a city from heaven yeah. whose king is God that has invaded the earth in the incarnation as Jesus and grows by the Spirit through the church. And... Um, in hearing about, no, 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 that stuff's not here. Here we worship the one king, you know. And that's not America, it's not the Constitution, it's not George Washington, it's not, you know, all, the, all that stuff being left aside and being reminded through the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word, and the preaching of the word, yeah. the word made visible in the sacraments of this kingdom whose citizenship, you know, the saints actually are part of. Yeah. Um, and it's not heaven apart from the world, but it's not the world apart from heaven, yeah. right? It's both. It's it's a pilgrim kingdom, right? It's I, I love Voss's um, sermon on heavenly mindedness. It might be one of my favorite sermons in the history of the church, where he talks about Abraham and and Canaan being represented of this heavenly city, and the emphasis even in the story of Abraham of tent, even in Canaan. So you're here. You're in the promised land, right? This is where you build your no tent. 
Because it points, as Hebrews points out, it points to a heavenly city that's not of this world and that eventually will come um, in the Messiah and, um, of course, will be fulfilled in, you might say, the restitution of all things. Yeah. Which is not, just uh, not. yeah, not what this manual says it is. Yeah. But yeah. surely is true, and, and Peter knew this as well. Yeah, the, the kingdom is inbreaking in Christ, and the kingdom is a kingdom that the citizens uh, of that kingdom participate in, in the here and now. Yes. But it'll be fully uh, consummated and known at the return of Jesus. Absolutely. And, uh, and so everything we receive now is a foretaste by the Spirit um, through way of our union with Christ of, uh, of what's to come. Yes. Uh, everything, everything that happened to Jesus will happen to us by our union with him. And, uh, and so our, all the way to our glorification is uh, guaranteed because Christ has been glorified mm-hmm. and we will be glorified with him as yeah. well. Not to be uh, the same in essence as him, no. but to image him in his glory as we reflect his greatness back to him as the creation was created to do to the creator. Absolutely. And, and by both of those points being linked in that way, I hope any LDS that happen to be listening here, how naturally you as a Christian believer went from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this first hit me reading um, too quickly. I need to go back and read it slowly. The City of God by Augustine, yeah. right? Where he saw, I mean, he's writing at a time when Rome, the eternal city, in quotations, mm. has fallen. Yep. And yet, he he realizes the Christian hope is not of this world, yeah. right? And and so he's writing at a time. I think it's very relevant um, in the, a lot the of the eternal city, and I mean, really, the Christian empire. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a powerful book. Yeah. And 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 kind of navigating that, and I love how he talks about the the you know um, the broken down. F- fallen city of Rome being used as the pieces to build this heavenly city infused by the spirit. But in Augustine, he makes a point in that book that maybe remind me how you link the two that constantly there's never a point at any sort of Christian form of progression, quote unquote, that's not mediated through the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. So, so Augustine talks a lot about, I mean, and it just bugs me. I mean, I don't top, do we have a top three, four, five pet peeves with uh, LDS apologists? This might be one of them, where they literally take these quotes and say, "See, they believed in become, you know, becoming gods." Or no, 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 keep them out of your mouth, yeah. <laughs> unless you're going to properly represent them the way we try to properly represent your guys. And that is Augustine. Yeah, if there was a form of becoming divine-ish, glorified humanity, it's never apart from the humanity that God took on himself first, ever. And and Augustine literally makes this point because Augustine was converted from a Gnostic system that is more similar to LDSism than to Christianity. Uh, there's differences too as well, but um but you know he and so he he went from thinking, yeah, I'm I'm trying to escape this world, escape the body and become a deity <laughs> basically mm-hmm. uh, in in uh, the spirit through knowledge and all that to recognizing no no no, no God came that God became man to save the world, not save us completely apart from the world, not out of the, no saved in the world, not saved from the body, but in the body. And uh, yeah, so and that's connected both to the city, 
to the church, the incarnation is the defining feature at every point. Yeah. Uh, glorification is mediated through the humanity of Jesus. And America will fall. It might mm-hmm. be this year, next year, 100 years, 1,000 years. But if believe me, if Rome fell, America will fall. But you know what city won't fall? The city that we are citizens of, the heavenly city, whose king is Christ now, yep. not just back then. This isn't just a myth. Yep. It's true psychologically. Yeah, and it yeah. is a city that continues to expand. Yep, and, and will. Continues to grow, mm-hmm. and yep, will until Christ returns. Yes. So, All right, well, let's, let's uh, get into the lesson here for the week. It's Acts 1 to 5 is what they are covering in their curriculum this week. And the subtitle is, Ye Shall Be Witnesses Unto Me. And uh, man, there's just a lot of stuff packed into here that would be, of course, uh, particularly of interest to us because of the of the LDS nature of how they kind of twist these scriptures for their theological purposes from, from our perspective, of course. But... Uh, not a whole lot of uh, fascinating stuff, at least that I'd noticed in the first couple of, you know, the invite sharing section, just kind of par for the course on that as far as what they have there. And then uh, you get into the teach the doctrine section, and let's just walk through this kind of one section at a time and see where we end up this week versus me walking through the entirety of this all at once. So the first section that we have here, they reference Acts 1, 1 to 8, uh, 2, 37 to 39, 4, 1 to 13, and 31 to 33 uh, in chapter 4 as well. And here's the subtitle here. Jesus Christ directs his church through the Holy Ghost. Reading about the experiences of the apostles can help your class members see how they can receive power and guidance from the Holy Ghost in their church callings and assignments. One way to review the experiences in Acts 1-5 to would be to write on the board, the Holy Ghost helped the apostles lead the church by, and then invite class members to search these different scriptures, looking for ways to finish the sentence. Class members could then share experiences in which the Holy Ghost helped them in these ways. Why did the apostles need the Holy Ghost, and why do we need him? Why did the apostles need the Holy Ghost? Why do we need the Holy Ghost as well? What you got there? Yeah. <laughs> it, this, honestly, I, I'm not totally sure. This, this manual... It is not very clear the way we've tried to be about the distinction between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Um, so in the seminary manual, they actually focus more on the Holy Ghost in their Acts 2 class, mm-hmm. which they do have, you know, 37 through 39 of Acts 2 as part of this heading. Um, and so I guess the way... they Even they... I think are very unclear as to why they need the Holy Ghost. Rather, my impression mm-hmm. uh, of of their priority with the Holy Ghost is how He helps them. Yeah, it's not like he, it's not necessary like water. It's you know helpful like uh, your protein shake in the morning. You yeah, know? yeah. So, he he helps them to gain a testimony of of. Uh, Jesus Christ, he helps them to um, 
grow in the different ways that they're supposed to be growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. He, yeah, he, he is a helper. And honestly, that's not too far from, you know, what we would say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but it's very different. It's, right. it's, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> we would actually appeal even to some of Paul's language. Paul says that we are controlled by the spirit. You know, so it's not just this, uh, we have our agency and then the Holy Spirit as a separate entity has his agency as well. It would be, it would be more of a mentality of the Holy Spirit comes in and, and begins to sweep house. He begins to do uh, a sanctifying work in us and it's by his power, it's by his work in us that uh, we begin to be more transformed into the image of Christ as those who have been united to him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's less of uh, this separate power entity that as long as we tap into that, we experience the benefits of it, and it's more of this sovereign God who yeah. who steps in and and changes our lives. Yeah, the Lord and giver of life, as it says Nicene Creed. Right. Um, who spake by the prophets. Yep. We, we link him to the scriptures, to the word. Here, they link it to their feelings, um, not to the... I mean, it says in the manual, you could use examples from the scriptures and invite students to reflect on their own experiences, you know, because that's like the same. Yeah. (laughs) These scriptural examples and then, you know, your emotional experiences. um, But here's one to show kind of why I'm saying it the way I am. So part of student prep, right? Student prep. Mm -hmm is invite students to discuss with a loved one ways they have noticed that the Holy Ghost is with them in their life. Also invite students to come prepared with any questions they might have about the Holy Ghost. And it's like, I wish that was invited to us because I have quite a few. Mm-hmm. Because here, here's the thing, there's no check on how you know you're right or how what to correct false notions of what the Holy Ghost is inspiring them to do or feel or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just discuss, share your story, and then how confident you are is determinative of whether you actually are. And that's that's pretty bizarre if you think about it with the stakes involved. Here's one. They have expanding our abilities, and they have a scale of one to seven, and you record your response in your study journal. This is the question, or this is the statement. I'm confident that I can recognize when I'm feeling the Holy Ghost in my life. And then and then just <laughs> then the man just keeps going. So you record how confident you are on a scale of one to seven that, that you're feeling the Holy Ghost in your life. It, it's a vicious circle. It's a just self-referential. You, you feel you do? Okay, then you must. Mm-hmm. You feel you do. What about a time when the Holy Ghost, what you determine is the Holy Ghost impressing you is just what you want yeah, or just what you feel. Um, I mean, I've, this is an extreme example. I'm not saying this is representative of the average LDS, but it sure has happened in the LDS community. I could name names if people want to challenge me where, you know, they justified adultery based on uh, what they thought Hmm. felt, I should say felt the Holy Ghost was telling them. Um, So, I mean, it's this, you see this in the Sunday School Manual as well. This is another example of this kind of vicious circle that there's no check. There's no accountability. Um, They'll say, a great way to discover which are the most valuable and relevant, sorry, meaning the the passages and principles in Acts 1 through 5. This is through the invite sharing. The, The same pattern holds true with the Holy Ghost. 
one great way to discover which are the most valuable and relevant to members of your class is to let them tell you what stood out to them in their study. <laughs> That's a great way to discover what's most valuable and relevant, right? And and yet, notice, no, what I see as the most valuable and most relevant will be based on what I prioritize. What if the text needs to correct what I'm valuing and prioritizing? What if it's the teacher's job not to just say, what? oh, that's most valuable to you? I guess that must be what is most valuable. How about saying, no, 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 what may be most valuable to you is wrong, and here's what Acts 1 through 5 is actually teaching. Mm -hmm. And maybe it judges you, not you it. And, and notice this. How will you invite this kind of sharing? They, they assume this is the way to do it. This is good teaching to, an, to the LDS manual. Mm -hmm. It could be as simple as giving them a few minutes to find... Okay, fine. Like, find and share a verse from Acts 1 through 5 in which they felt the voice of the Lord speaking to them. Yeah. I, I think, so in the individual and family manual under this section, uh, they say, although Jesus Christ was no longer on the earth, he directed the church by revelation through the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is kind of this arbiter of revelation who... Yeah helps guide people by revealing different things to them. And they're kind of setting you up for the, where the rest of the lesson is going to go and the rest of the focus for the week is going to go because it says, consider how the Holy Ghost guided the new leaders of Christ church as you review the following passages. Now then I think this is significant because we, we keep drawing out how so much of the emphasis here uh, within LDS thought is on this works-based salvation. And I think it's so important to keep highlighting that because because of the emphasis amongst many LDS right now, it's like, no, we, it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace. Um, okay, it's not. I mean, in the, in the, you know, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of the teaching that's being given in all of the aspects of their teaching ministries, it's all about what you're doing, what you're performing, and how how that's going. So it says, as members of Christ Church today, we have a responsibility to participate in the work of salvation and exaltation, to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, care for those in need, invite others to come unto Christ, and unite families for eternity. What do you learn from these early apostles about how you can rely on the Holy Ghost to guide your efforts? So you see, the Holy Ghost is a giver of revelation. He's a sort of guide, but ultimately he doesn't, he doesn't enable you or empower you to do these works. He doesn't control you in any sense. He's not the one who comes into your life and begins to totally change things where at the end of the of your life, you could just say, this was all God and not me at all. God gets mm -hmm. the glory for this. He's the one who did this work in me. No, instead what you have is, oh, but remember, you're supposed to participate in the work of salvation and exaltation to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, care for those in need, invite others to come unto Christ and unite families for eternity. And in their mentality, that's what it means to come unto Christ is to do all all of those different things. So just remember that in the LDS way of thinking, the Holy Ghost is a separate personage. A personage. You are a separate uh, agent as well. You, you each, as a different person, have agency, and you each have responsibilities within your agency to do what you ought to do. And so the Holy Spirit ultimately 
uh, cannot intercept or affect your agency. Uh, he can just kind of try to influence you from the outside, and that's very different from the way that we understand the working of, of the Holy Spirit um, as evangelical Christians. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes into the world and applies the work of redemption, which Christ has accomplished to our hearts and to our lives, and he is living, he's active, he's at work within each uh, person who has trusted Christ, and uh, we will get to end, our, end of our lives and say, this was all God at work in me. It wasn't me willing to do this work myself. Yeah. So I, anyways, no, totally. quick notes on the Holy Spirit there, Holy Ghost. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, just to reiterate, we've said it many times on many episodes, but they, they're not very clear in this manual the distinction between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. There is a distinction in LDS theology. One is an impersonal force. One is a personal separate being in person, a third God. Remember, though, he is a huge problem for them, right? Uh, you have to have a body to become a God, but somehow the third member of the Godhead doesn't have a body. They'll say, so he can be within us, but keep in mind because he's a separate being in person and he's limited the way LDS gods are. He can be only in one place at one time, yeah, not beyond time and space, even before there was anything apart from God like we have with the triune God. And this is another thing that I noticed that um, may seem small, but it's actually a pretty big deal. They emphasize, um, like they even have a separate chapter called the gift of the Holy Ghost from their chapter on the Holy Ghost in their gospel principles manual. And of course they would say the, the Holy Ghost can influence through the Holy Spirit, anybody, you know, any, anyone, but you have to be a baptized member of the LDS church to have the gift of the Holy Ghost, which means if you're worthy of it, he'll be with you always somehow, probably through the Holy Spirit, the force. But here's the thing. They'll say the gift of tongues is a gift of the Holy Ghost. They literally say that in the manual. And yet in Acts 2, the, the mention of the gift of tongues is prior to Peter saying, remember, they say at the very end, after the, all the tongues stuff, regardless how you interpret it, Cornelius man, it was a gift of the Holy Ghost. And remember at the very end, they say, what shall we do? And Peter says, be baptized, repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. So these are unbaptized <laughs> people who are receiving what the LDS manual says they can't unless they are baptized members of the church. Yeah. Bit of a problem there. Huge problem. Did they even try to address it and fix it? Joseph Smith? No. This is how LDS theology is. It's a big big goulash of just contradictory, weird. There's not a systematic impulse. There's a logical impulse to Mormonism. There's not a systematic impulse and surely not a systematic impulse relative to the text of Scripture. There is always an impulse to do works. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So the yes. the the uh, next section, I, I'm going to pull just very quickly from this, and then yeah. we'll go to the apostle section. So yes. this is also in the individual and family manual. They go straight from that portion into saying the principles and ordinances of the gospel help me come unto Christ. So how do I mm-hmm. come into Christ? Well, it's by the principles and ordinances of the gospel. And then they make reference to Acts 2, verse 37 to 47 here for, for this portion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's probably worthwhile. This is, I'm going to read it. It's from the Sermon of Peter uh, after he's preached. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that a broken (laughs) record? (laughs) And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who received his word were baptized, and and, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And uh, then it goes on to talk about the fellowship of the believers. But... Uh, here's how they, of course, interpret this passage and use it. So you may have already been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So how do you continue to apply the doctrine of Christ? So here's where they're working from. Have you ever felt pricked in your heart, they ask, like the Jews on the day of Pentecost? Maybe you did something you regret, or maybe you simply want to change your life. What should you do when you have these feelings? Peter's counsel to the Jews is found in uh, Acts 2.38. Note how the first principles, and here's where they start to draw in their doctrine into the text, eisegesis alert. Note how the first principles and ordinances of the gospel, including faith, repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Holy Ghost, or what is sometimes referred to as the doctrine of Christ, affected these converts, as we see there. And uh, and then they say, how do you you know basically continue to apply the doctrine of Christ or or the principles and ordinances of the gospel so that you can ensure that you are coming unto Christ. I just think it's important to continue to point out how central those uh, those doctrines and ordinances, and I was telling you even before, I think we've hit on some of the gospel principles manual a little bit, but some of the evangelical Christian listeners may not be aware of what they're talking about when they're making reference to all that, but just how central this plan of salvation, these gospel principles are to the their faith and, yes. and the way that they live out their faith. So essentially the teaching is you need to do these things and yep. they outline in that particular book what those things are. You do mm-hmm. these things in order to be saved. That's yes. participating in the process of salvation, right? Mm-hmm. So coming unto Christ is done by what you do. You've got to bring yourself unto Christ. Christ doesn't, Christ doesn't come to you. No, that would violate agency. In fact, um, according to some, uh, he would cease to be a god should yep. he violate agency. So, which, of course, again, <laughs> if I could just read two thirty nine for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, mm-hmm. everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Right? Who is salvation for? Who God calls to Himself? Yep. That's who it is, Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And that's the amazing message that uh, Peter is, is, I think, beginning to reveal here. Yeah, and they didn't really focus on that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of like the Ascension, uh, they don't really do much, if, if anything. You know, it's they'll say it's essential. Christ, they have that video, right, where it's Christopherson saying, this is the gospel we preach. Everything else is an appendage to it. It's like, I don't know. I, I've been going through your manual all year. Yeah. Um. Those are the things that are not emphasized, really. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I guess by appendage, you mean the whole. I yep, don't know. Yep. It, it seems like they're an appendage in terms of the words, not the mm-hmm. substance of what the words mean, but they're, they're a word salad you toss as a decoration, a billboard on oh, yeah. your business venture. Yep. And it, Which they actually yeah. they choose. Actually, yeah, like you got to read that. Yeah. You have uh, to read that. <laughs> man, I'm trying to remember even exactly it, where the, I didn't it's underline It's under it. Acts 1, 15 okay. through 26. Okay. The apostles right. of Jesus Christ are called by God yeah. through revelation. We'll get to that when we get to the... Uh, I want to make one more note just on this idea of, yes, of uh, 
the Holy Ghost is who helps us keep trying sort yeah, of a thing. Right. Um, they actually have a talk that they reference in the individual and family manual, and the title is Latter-day Saints Keep on Trying. We just we just keep on trying by by obedience, which the Holy Ghost gives us revelation so that we can continue doing this. But here's the quote there. Our theology does teach us, though, this is from April 2015 General Conference. Our theology does teach us, though, that we may be perfected by repeatedly relying upon the doctrine of Christ. In other words, repeatedly doing these works that you're supposed to do, these gospel principles, exercising faith in him, repenting, partaking in the sacrament to renew the covenants and blessings of the baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost as a constant companion to a greater degree. As we do so, we become more like Christ and are able to endure to the end with all that that entails in less formal terms. God cares a lot more about who God cares a lot more about who we are and who we are becoming than about who we once were. He cares that we keep on trying. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's your there you there's go. your gospel. There's grace. That's the gospel <laughs> in an LDS way of thinking. Yeah. The gospel is what you do, not what's been done for you in Christ. Right. And, uh, that's what's so devastating about it. It's it's horrible. Yeah. And and just throwing you know uh, you know that same talk right that one on grace where like we teach grace too. Yeah. It's that message. It's just the wording. Yeah. It's just a little nicer. Yeah. Substitute grace for Holy Ghost right. that just gives you revelation and kind of helps right. you, as you, you feel, as a free agent do what you're mm-hmm. supposed to do. And feel right? confident and bold, but without yeah. being contentious. That's another thing they have here, right? Yeah. Where they, you know, they talk about the Holy Ghost empowering us to be more bold. But they'll say, but that's not the same as contentious. Yeah. Um, even though let's see, scripture says contend for the faith once yeah. for all different yeah. anyway. which we'll get maybe to the yeah, the boldness point. But they, it's just weird. Once again, they, it's so funny how they want to say this is restored, and yet how vague they are on who the Holy Ghost is, mm-hmm. but how clear they are on how you just keep trying and he'll help you if you're worthy of his help. Yeah. But what if you're not worthy of his help? I guess then you just got to keep trying on your own until you get worthy enough for him to help you. And then he'll help you be more like him. And then eventually, just keep trying, stay in the church, ignore all the problems, play word games. If you're with an evangelical, play word games in your own mind to justify doing so. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just like, at some point, I just want to say this, at some point, words should match what they mean. Yeah, Words should match what they mean. And in the words of the scripture that defines the Christian faith, right, it's clearest about who Christ is, not how we feel. It's clearest about what Christ has done, not what we do. It's clearest about receiving the benefits of Christ through faith, right, based on what Christ has accomplished and applied by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, right, Mm -hmm. to us, to our account as a gift, yeah. And then, yes, there is moral exhortation living in light of that, mm-hmm. living in light of that. But that's the result. It's not something gained. Yeah. And, and, and all that is obfuscated by all this stuff. Like, I don't, the restoration and this and mm-hmm. this. I mean, it is a 
this is a very chaotic lesson. Yeah. All, all of this is in the, I mean, everything that's happening in Acts is happening under the hand of a sovereign God. Yes. Who is working out his plan uh, perfectly in, in redemption. Yeah. As and, Peter even uh, says, right? Even with Judas. Yeah. Yep. That's <laughs> and right. the crucifixion itself. That's right. So, um, yeah, part of, part of uh, Jesus or Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Yep. So who delivered Jesus up to die? It was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the sovereign plan, the unshakable yes. plan, yes. the plan that could not be thwarted by mm-hmm. by the enemy or anyone. Right. Sounds like Isaiah. It sounds like That's Paul right. in Ephesians That's 1. Right. David Ridges interprets that as according to the the findings of the council that we all voted in. Yeah. Mm. That's how David Ridges still yeah. did that. Yeah. Which even still, Pre-mortal. the council could <laughs> not guarantee that, that no. people with free agency would perfectly carry everything out the way right. that it was supposed to be carried out. And Brigham so. Young taught that. Brigham yeah. Young said Jesus Christ could have failed. Yeah. Like, he, he taught that yeah. straight up. Yeah. We're glad he didn't. Well, it, it's lucky that, that uh, yeah, it's lucky that Jesus, it's lucky. It's not even yeah. just that yeah. Jesus performed well. <laughs> right. It's lucky that it happened the way that it happened because exactly. it's not just that Jesus was delivered up. It says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you also had to have... These men who, in their free agency, decided yep. that they wanted to kill Jesus, yep. you know, and and so it, in a in an LDS way of thinking, it's like, how did this actually happen, man? This yeah. is like the most lucky thing that could have ever occurred, right? That somehow this did occur according to what was planned. But can you plan something? If anyways, right? right. I, yeah. I was going to say they crossed their fingers, but there's an irony there because let's see, the cross being the tree foreordained before the foundation of the world. Yeah. yeah, so I guess Wrong I can't cross. do that. Yeah, not, not that cross. But yeah, no, it's... Uh, and keep in mind, they're consistent there, right? The Book of Mormon teaches God could cease to be God. Yeah. And um, so they, they they could take it all the way up the chain. Mm-hmm. Now, now, luckily, there's lots of gods. You know, I'm sure some could fill in, you know. It's right. like a corporation, right? Yeah. If one manager bails. Well, you call another store, maybe come, another manager can come fill in for a while. Yeah, sounds but. like a Brandon Sanderson book I read. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some of our listeners may know who that is. Uh, popular LDS fiction writer. Okay, um, so let's talk about apostles again, shall we? So we get into Acts 1, 15 to 26. This is the su- second uh, subsection within the Sunday School Manual. And the subtitle there is, The Apostles of Jesus Christ Are Called by God Through Revelation. Consider inviting class members to explain how a business might go about choosing a replacement for an executive position. What qualifications might they look for? Ask class members to contrast this with how the Apostle Matthias was called and with President uh, Gordon B. Hinckley's words in additional resources describing how apostles are called today. How does God's method for choosing leaders affect our faith in the leaders he has called? Class members should share how they have gained a witness that today's apostles and prophets are called by him. 
Hinckley says in that quote that they reference, the procedure is peculiar to the Lord's church. There is no seeking for office, no jockeying for position, no campaigning to promote one's virtues. Contrast the Lord's way with the way of the world. The Lord's way is quiet. It is a way of peace. It is without fanfare or monetary costs. Yeah, they don't have money. It is without egotism or vanity or ambition. Under the Lord's plan, those who have responsibilities to select officers are governed by one overriding question. Question, whom would the Lord have? There is a quiet and thoughtful deliberation, and there is much of there is much of prayer to receive the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that the choice is correct. So they begin to emphasize very heavily once again this apostolic office that was restored uh, to Joseph Smith, and um, yeah, wow. That's how the church is to be led. So, so uh, yeah, Fa- fascinating to think through. You know, go go look at the uh, go look at the church's website, um, the LDS Faith website. I hesitate to call it a church because, from an evangelical Christian perspective, it's not a church. Um, right. But that goes into one of the videos that yeah. they even yes. you know had referenced in uh, in this talk um, that was trying Jesus to say Christ church. Yeah, yeah, like there's all sorts of churches, and they're showing pictures in this <laughs> video of like evangelical Christian church buildings yeah. with crosses on them. Yeah, like so, what what's unique about our church versus all these other churches? It was very soft on yeah. other churches, right? Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Anyway, go go to the LDS Face website and pull up the page where they represent the the uh, apostles and prophets. And my goodness, are they ever proud of the accomplishments, the yes. professional accomplishments <laughs> of their different apostles? Uh, you know, I mean the the current prophet, of course, is a is a it was an extremely successful. Was it a cardiovascular surgeon yeah, or something like that? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so the, these are not your run of the mill sort of guys, right? Mm-hmm. These are not your Peters, like just straight off the fishing boat sort of a thing, right. uh, filled with the spirit on high. These actually are very powerful, successful men. And you have to go through this process. Of course, you, you don't just get appointed as a young man in the way that the apostles of Jesus were, I mean, of course they're very young men. No, you've got to go through a succession process in order to get to the top. I, maybe you want to fill some of that in for oh, us there, but too, what, what do you have on, on the apostles here? There, there's too much there. And um, I think D Michael Quinn was right to call them a hierarchy, the Mormon hierarchy. A lot of them are related to each other. A lot of them are connected in various ways. It's a very elite circle of people. And, um, but yeah, I, I, to me, that's just such an insight into their priorities too, where it's like, they look at the story of the 12 and okay, Judas, which the video said, because he died, it's like not betrayed. So had he lived, would he have stayed? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, and they then liken the decision. Is it based on what Peter says they should is it based on what the number 12 means biblically? Is it based on any sort of eschatological new Israel? or yeah. uh, Is it anything? No, it's like a business. It's like a yeah. business, which is such an insight into the LDS leaders' minds. Yeah. It's a business to them. Yeah, and it's fascinating that they try to draw this direct comparison. Look, they had 12 apostles. 
We have 12 apostles, <laughs> and there's no place for the first presidency. No, they have a, in the picture where it's like, we're guided by modern prophets today. This is there's in the video. There's 15. Yeah. Well, it's the picture as well. So it's in the video. So in the picture, there's 15, but in the video, there's 12. Yes. You know, so that's yes. the in the video that they made, yeah. that was kind of, the video basically says, here's what happened with the early apostles in, in Acts. And guess what? The apostles were what was restored to the church through yeah. Joseph Smith. And now we have 12 apostles, just like the early church had 12 apostles. And we've talked about apostolic succession uh, before and how there is no need for uh, a succession within the church because the point of the apostles was to lay the foundation. You only lay a foundation once. You Mm -hmm. don't continue to lay a foundation. You build off of the foundation. And so the apostles were there for the purpose of getting the church founded. And now the church is built on the foundation that they laid, which of course is the apostolic testimony of the scriptures, which we now have and appeal to in order to know what we ought to believe, how we ought to function as a church. And the, 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 the church is now built off of the word of truth, off of the gospel, off of what's revealed in the scriptures. And so the church grows as people around the world come to hear the preaching of the word, come to believe it, and come to cling to it for dear life. And uh, and so there's no need for apostolic succession. But in any case, that was a that was a ramble and a rant there. But um, yeah, they they do this whole video of like, look at how we now have the the restored church, and in that image they show of course these kind of uh it's a it's an animated image of 12 figures in the early church and then they show the restored church and they show the 12 figures and it's like okay if i go to the website and i count i'm seeing 15 there mm-hmm. right if i look at the physical picture that they put in the in the uh seminary manual it's the 12 apostles in the first presidency so there's never a, uh, an effort to reconcile where the first presidency comes into all this, you know, how, how does that work out? And uh, anyway, so any comments right. on that? Well, just the, even the qualifications in this chapter show there's no one alive that would fill them, <laughs> right? They, they had to be, right, with Jesus since the baptism, right, up to the resurrection, right? And then Peter puts forward these two names. And it's just, it's, it's just weird. Like David Ridges interprets the choosing process, not based on the lots, but based on no, Peter got inspiration to pick which one, it, showing he no, no they make the early church in their image and then claim it's restored, mm-hmm. you know. And I get this, I get like the whole restorationism movement among certain forms of evangelicalism in the 1800s in America. I'm sure not just America, but that's what I'm most familiar with. It's a problem, you know. It's a yeah. huge problem. This idea of this like perfect, pure early wait, was the church at Corinth perfect and pure? I mean, just read the letters. Mm-hmm. When was this perfect church? It never has been there. It's yeah. always been a big mess, and and it's a big mess now. But it's it's it is a family. It's just a very dysfunctional family, and that's yeah. that's how it is. We're sinners, right? But here they have this. They they create this image and impose it on the early church, and then selectively emphasize certain things. And just hope, I guess, their people don't think like when it says, "Yeah, the twelve today," and then it has a picture of fifteen people. Yeah. That doesn't fit. What about Peter's description of what qualifies for the 12 here in this chapter that they claim to be covering? None of them are qualify. Yeah. And instead, what do they say? Imagine you're running a business and choosing a replacement for an executive position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is insane. I mean, this is literally insane. Here's just one example where 
I know this sounds like nitpicking, but it's not. If the point of if if the point is God, this is not nitpicking, right? The heading: Apostles of Jesus Christ are called by God, singular. They don't believe in only one. They they call them a them with a capital T, and then at the very bottom, right? How does God, singular, method for choosing leaders affect our faith in the leaders he has called? Class members could share how they have gained a witness that today's apostles and prophets are called by him, singular. I just wrote, which one? You have a father, you have a son, you have an unembodied Holy Ghost that a lot of early Mormons thought was Joseph Smith. Yeah. Okay, so let's say, you know, whatever. Joseph Smith, not Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said the Holy Ghost is getting a body, and then he has all these quotes where he says, you don't know who I am. If I told you who I am, you'd slit my throat, which that slit throat language might come up later. But, uh, you know, which one? Yeah. Who, who selects it? Is there a hierarchy within the Godhead? Who Are they all agreed? Which one? They say singular. The words should match the reality. They yep. should say the apostles are... 15 apostles of Jesus Christ are called by the gods through revelation, through the gods' methods, through them. Be honest. I wish they, what are they doing? And then th- this quote by Hinckley, we don't have time. I don't, you know, throughout the year, people have heard us bring up specific historical examples where everything Hinckley says in here is not true. You know, look at the succession crisis after Smith and Hiram died. Mm. I mean, William Smith claimed Brigham Young poisoned his own brother who was in line to be pre- you know, president of the church. Yeah. You have five, six different people, some claiming the same things Joseph Smith did. Oh, Joseph Smith came to me in a dream and translate fake Native American stuff, all that stuff. To say, oh, this is the way the Lord... What, well, what do you do after the death of Joseph Smith? Mm-hmm. And what do you do during Brigham's tenure when he, he arbitrarily, because he disagrees with them on particular things or has personality issues with them particular? Um, arbitrarily moves Orson Pratt and Orson Hyde down the line of the 12. What do you do with succession then? Yeah. What, what about jockeying for position? Remember under Monson, it was be a more, I'm a Mormon campaign. I'm a Mormon too campaign. Mm-hmm. And then Nelson comes in who didn't like the I'm a Mormon campaign. And now it's, no, we, we say the full name of the church and that's it. So there's no jockeying for position there yeah. in the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's the, that's a fascinating point because in one sense, um, Whoever is the prophet has the has the position, right. and the jockeying for position may not be something that's necessarily, at least hypothetically, occurring in the in the actual moment. But right. sometimes those things become obvious, and what the what the uh, new president reverses that yes. the last president like to focus on, right? right. So. It's 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 kind of baked in in that sense, right? Or even even with Nelson within his tenure, right? Nelson's the one who went nuclear and claimed the the church's policy toward children of gay people, right? Mm-hmm. And he claimed that was a revelation, and then that was printed in the ensign, and then they've walked back from that, yeah. right? So that's even within a presidency. Should he feel differently at some point? Yeah, or you know, so it, it's just this. This is. Fantasy, people. Yeah. Well, this is absolute fantasy. Let, let me ask you this, just in light of that. Yeah. Um, it says class members should share or could share how they have gained a witness yeah. that today's apostles and prophets are called by him. How do you gain a witness that you can know that these are the prophets and apostles that have been called by God? Yes. Well, they showed, there were, in fact, there were two, maybe even three videos 
of people talking, t- sharing, you know, it's testimony time. You had the music, you had, you know, all that. There was one, there was a video, we need living prophets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it was the Christofferson talk we've already mentioned in the background, but then it has someone from England. They have someone from, I think, Nigeria, and then they have someone from Linden, Utah. Yep. And just listen to their words. And then they also, of course, took advantage of our emotions by uh, having a child, you know, with the English accent. So he must be right saying, oh, I feel in my heart, you know, and that's how they talk. They say, I felt the spirit tell me that he he was the prophet or, um, you know, I felt the spirit witness to me when Monson spoke or I feel something in my heart that says, that's a literal quote, I feel something in my heart that says. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so subjective and it's leaning in the exact place the Bible says to lean the least, yeah. which is your heart. Yep. And just to be clear, as you've already mentioned in passing, yeah. but to make a sharp contrast there, the Bible has objective requirements that yeah. everyone could say, yes, that person qualifies as an apostle. Mm-hmm. Um, namely, you've witnessed the resurrected Christ, mm-hmm. right? You've been taught by him. And, uh, and so... That, that sort of objective standard is very different than, well, we just know by feeling it. Right. You know, we just know by, by gaining some subjective testimony that, uh, that we bank on. And, you know, to be fair, like, and, and even to be sensitive to any LDS listeners that we may, may have, what you may not realize is that this way of thinking, especially if you've grown up in the LDS faith, is is uh, so integrated into the way that you think that you probably don't even realize it's there. Yep. I, I, and you, you probably don't even realize how shocking it is to an evangelical Christian like me. I remember being in a circle at one point um, where there were LDS people sharing about how, you know, they, they, what their faith is in. It was, you know, what do you put your faith in? What's the object of your faith? And uh, there was this this one young LDS woman who who started testifying, and uh, and began to ex- express how she had gained a witness that the prophet is called by God, and she started crying through the whole process, and you know was was tearing up and was just so passionate about the the way that I know that these apostles and prophets are from God. Uh, because I, I've witnessed that I've gained a witness, a testimony, you know, and, and from an evangelical Christian perspective, I was just sitting there and th- this was early on. I didn't really know much about LDS culture at the time. And I was just shocked. I was like, why would there be so much trust and confidence and love put on this person that you've never even met? Right. You, you don't even know who this person is mm-hmm. truly. And, and I mean, it really was the way, the way that, uh, that she was talking about the apostles and prophets. That's the way that we talk about Jesus, <laughs> right? It really is, yeah. you know? And, and so I, I just remember being really like shocked by that as a, as an evangelical Christian. I'm like, why would there be so much appreciation and veneration of these mere men? Right. Yeah. And, and once again, the, the patterns of the LDS, church history, right? Um, and what they are willing to compromise and change and obfuscate and prioritize. Have, bear all the marks, if the Bible is a divine standard, bear all the marks of a man-made religion. Mm-hmm. 
right? And how many times have they said, we won't change on this, this is revelation, this is doctrine, and then they change it and say it's an opinion and a policy that we could reverse. Mm. I mean, this has happened. I mean, literally, we should do, we could do a bonus episode dozens of times. I mean, little things that you just can't. Yeah. So let's know, move right. that into some of the things that they have to say on Acts 3. At least this is what they yeah. have in the Come Come Follow Me Individual and Family Manual. So um, just speaking of the things that they've changed, yeah. this gets back into the question of restoration, right? Yeah, so yeah. Acts 3, and I'll read from the ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible, Acts 3, 19 to 21. Um, Peter, this is also Peter giving a, a sermon. He says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, uh, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Okay, so um, probably should just read that again for the sake of, of clarity. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. Okay, so notice that. Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing. So there's a call to repentance that these people might experience times of refreshing that may come, how? From the presence of the Lord. That's a call that's saying, refreshing can come to you now, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, that Christ by spirit may come and indwell you. You may experience a refreshing of your soul and the here and now. And it goes on and says, whom, this is Christ Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. Okay, so the refreshing, according to the text, is this receiving of Christ in the here and now. And then the restoring of all things is this moment where where uh, that the prophet spoke about long ago, where Jesus is going to come and bring back a restoration. Now listen to what the interpretation given here is. The times of refreshing refers to the millennium when Jesus Christ will return to the earth. Okay, I hope that I made it so clear from the text that that's not what the times of refreshing are. So they're just expecting you, of course, to receive their interpretation of this, which is totally wrong. Again, they say, the LDS curriculum, the times of refreshing refers to the millennium. No, it doesn't. The times of refreshing is what Peter is saying. You can know this now. Repent, and the times of refreshing will come to you now. Jesus is doing something by the Spirit in the world now, and, and he can be received now. But no, uh, in LDS teaching, that's the millennium when Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth. Well, then what is the restoration? Well, the times of, of uh, restoration refers to the restoration of the gospel, which prepares the world for the millennium. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so they're 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 reading, of course, in their uh, their rest restoration narrative. Right. Again, right. Yes. So the question, of course, we ask is what what has been restored? Right. Right. Yeah. Because they they want to say something was restored, and yet on the other hand. Once they see issues with church history, it becomes this ongoing restoration. Like, oh, we're just learning all the time. It's so exciting, you know. Yep. And um, it, I mean, yeah, it's it's a definite here, and then it becomes this vague, nebulous, ongoing thing. The second you learn any actual history, because yeah, what is true in 1830 that's true now? What I mean, think of all the doctrines taught as essential for exaltations that have been modified, rejected, hidden, and um, 
It, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, and, and yet there's still this, um, this heartbeat from mm-hmm. the beginning that I do want to affirm, right? I mean, we have seen that they do emphasize a lot of things you do see there in the beginning. Yeah. But I, it's at the same time, though, when they want to say there was a great apostasy, we're restoring what Jesus actually taught. And, of course, when it's not in the Bible, like Hugh Nibley, they'll say, maybe it's the 40 days, the Gnostic stuff. That's the <laughs> that's the, um, where he taught the real stuff. And Yeah, okay. Um, once again, though, it, and, and, and what? What mm-hmm. was it that was restored? That's where they get vague. Because then they want to say, on the other hand, they want to, in that Christopherson talk, they want to be like, well, it's the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's like, well, where did that go? Yeah. We, we've always emphasized that. It's in, it's in I think, every creed, yep. other than Chalcedon, which didn't deal with an entire thing. It was dealing with the nature of Christ, right? His humanity and divinity. Um, I think it's in every single one. Apostles, Nicaea, you, you name it, right? What was it? We were reading something where the, the, the claim of the restoration was that the god the the gospel was complete yes restored uh, christopherson it was right. that video is that is that what it was yeah do you have the quote there I yeah exactly what uh, let's it was. see here yeah gospel full and complete once again upon the earth yeah that's christopherson's wording right and and then of course the video before it jesus christ church um it says to be brief it's like this. Jesus was a master teacher. He showed us the type of people we need to be to live with God again. Notice the again. Mm-hmm. And since that's no easy task, he created a, a church, a place where believers could learn and live the things he taught. He chose 12 apostles or leaders to guide the church after his death and ascension into heaven. The apostles worked really hard to keep it all together. But eventually, people split off and formed other churches. And they didn't always stay true to the things Jesus taught. For hundreds of years, people only had parts of Jesus' original teachings, which that's a lot nicer than they used to talk, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of the black millennium like black Bruce R. McConkie, they're saying, oh, there's little pieces here. Yeah. Um, but when the time was right, Jesus restored all that was lost. All. Mm-hmm. Not some. Yeah. And there's an ongoing thing, Terrell Givens. All. That's what your church is teaching in this video. That's right. So who's who's disagreeing? I, it's so funny they will treat us like we're enemies. Why isn't Terrell Givens an enemy for complicating that and being like, "Well, history's more complicated. Let's look at literature and poetry." And wow, Joe Smith is so artistic. Let's just let's tap into the artistic side and change where we want to become more progressive. Yeah, which is what he and his wife want. Uh, let's see, and started his church again through a prophet named Joseph Smith. There you go. So it's in the time of Joseph Smith something was restored. Twelve new apostles were chosen to help lead the church just like before. And that, and you know, so yeah, I, I, it's so weird because one thing that stood out to me is how soft they are on the apostasy part now. Right. I mean, yeah, they're, they're and, and yet they do at the same time want to jump from those 12 to these 12 as restored through Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listen to how some of them used to talk, even not that long ago. The inevitable apostasy, Ted R. Callister said, if there had been significant righteousness among the saints, the quorum of the 12 apostles would have continued. Yep. So he's, he's not just blaming the leaders or wolves. He's saying, no, the early Christians weren't righteous. So yeah. it went away because, you know, they were wicked. Unlike us, you know, we, we, you know we're great. Yep. And just to be clear on Acts 3, Peter is preaching Jesus there. Yes. Um, of course, this miracle has just now been performed at the beautiful gate, and and Peter is saying uh, this this miracle happened by the name of Jesus. This mir- and, and that's not some rote incantation that they no. used. It's it's referencing 
the character, the power, the nature of Christ, who is the one who performs these miracles. And so Peter is calling these Jews who are rejecting Christ to repent of their rejection of Christ and place their faith in him, to believe in him. And if they will trust him and believe in him alone for their salvation, they will know what these times of refreshing are. They'll yeah. be filled with the Spirit. They'll mm-hmm. know they'll know what what uh, they'll they'll participate in the work that God is doing in the world versus being antagonistic and against it because they want to insist on their own religious system. Um, they, right. they, they, they want to suppress Jesus and who he is. And uh, how much of Jesus do you see here? No. no you know I, what no. I mean? I mean, it's the same sort of a thing. There, yeah. There's not, Jesus is not the center of this. You are. Yeah. And, uh, and Jesus is just part of, of, uh, of the story of you. Yep. And, um, and again, that's exactly what, you should repent of right and make Jesus everything mm-hmm. to you. That's yeah. the call of Acts three. Yeah, there was a first presidency letter. I'll put it in the show notes because I can't recall exactly what year, but where they literally said that, where they talk about his his life and death, and even I think they mentioned the ascension. The reason I saw it is I was seeing it where they referenced the ascension, and they said it's a symbol of our lives, symbol of the story of our lives. Yeah, and I'm just like, wow, they were. Carl Jung, like yeah. before, oh, yeah. before you, I'm like, wow, Jordan Peterson will like that. Yep. Um, but it, it's, um, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's so frustrating, especially somebody who values history, values the text, values what the Bible teaches, that the last days started, the kingdom came with Jesus. He set it up. His ascension, it shows that he has been enthroned over heaven and earth there's nowhere to run there's nowhere to hide and the church he set up that the gates of hell would not prevail against have been here all along they're not going anywhere and there's not one particle out of the control of god in christ embodied Mm. at the right hand of the father right now Yep. yep and none of that instead it's picture of them and you know, think like a business executive. Yeah, and we'll just tie that into the last section yes. to cover here. As we are filled, this this is the LDS curriculum for Acts 3, uh, 4, and 5. Mm-hmm. As we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we can share the gospel with boldness. You already made reference to this a little bit. Right. But I hope that listeners clearly understand that when we talk about what the gospel is, we're talking about Christ. Yes. <laughs> We're talking about Jesus. That mm-hmm. is the gospel. It's what Jesus came and accomplished. Yep. And uh, there's a, there's a you know, I talked about this even in, in my sermon on Sunday. There is a narrow lens through which we can understand the gospel and the Bible. And then there's a broader lens that's also talked about. And you see both going on in the book of Colossians, which is what we're studying as a church right now on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's, a, there's a broader sense and this this uh, restoration of all things that is going to occur in the last day, uh, Christ Jesus is reconciling all things to Himself, and everyone who is in Him is going to be a part of this uh, redeemed humanity, this restored creation that He is preeminent over, that He is Lord over, and uh, will be a part of worshiping Him for all eternity in this new creation that He has already begun to create by the Spirit and will finally complete on the last day when he comes back and judges the earth and renews all things to, to perfection. All that is going to be a work that Christ does. That's a broader lens of what's being accomplished by Jesus in the gospel, but there's a narrow lens through which you can understand the gospel as well. And that narrow lens is particularly 
what he has accomplished for us in redemption, how he has redeemed us as his people, how he bought us. And that's through his active and passive obedience, his perfection as a sinless man. That's through his sacrifice, his atonement on the cross, him paying for our sins, taking our sins upon himself, suffering the punishment for them so that we can be forgiven of our sins, not by our works, but by uh, his grace. And, uh, and then also be given his active obedience credited to us as if we were the ones who were obedient. We get right. his obedience by union with him. All that he has done is ours in him. And, uh, and then by his resurrection, which of course uh, is the, the, the summation of all that he has accomplished in his resurrection that shows that he has defeated sin and death so that in him we defeat sin and death. And then of course in his ascension, his glorification, we will ascend and be with him. Um, and all of this is through Jesus. It's what he has accomplished through the gospel. So that for us is the gospel. And I hope you know by now that when an LDS person has said, you need to preach the gospel, that is not what they are preaching at all. No. Uh, what are they preaching, Skylar? Themselves and their ability to be better. Yeah. Etern- it, eternal know, families. Yes. It's... Um, yeah, maybe God will help you. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. You know, so you, just you can try. Be a, you can be a better person. Exalt, you can do yeah. good works. But really, it's yeah. the... it's the God, glory. Yeah, it's the gospel principles, yep. right? Yep. That we talked about. It's, yeah. uh, it's literally a list of works that you must do in order to gain exaltation in the last day. And uh, there's no squirming out of that from an LDS perspective. There's oh. one way to exaltation, and that's by obedience to the laws and commandments of the gospel. And so when they say gospel, they don't mean gospel the way that we mean gospel. Not we preach a different gospel. We preach Christ and him crucified yep. and nothing else. Yeah, whereas they say, to be brief in that video, Jesus was a master teacher. He showed us the type of people we need to be to, be, to live with God again. And since that's no easy task, he creates a church. Yeah, that's that's how they summarize it, and, what and then they jump to themselves. Yeah, and and, and what LDS people need, uh, friends, if you're LDS and you're listening, you need the true gospel. Yes, you need the true Christ. Mm-hmm. He alone can save. Grab hold of him by faith, yep. and and uh, and watch. Yes, <laughs> you know, and and he is a jealous king. Yeah, he will not be a decoration on your idolatrous system. He will not be a bumper sticker on your car going the other way. Right. He will not be some psychological phenomenon in your union self obsession. Yep. He is king objectively yep. apart from you. That's right. He he will have all of you or you will not have him at all. Exactly. Yep. That's it. And and this is I mean there's a lot of, you saw how much stuff there is. Mm-hmm. Should I run through just really quickly. You do you. Do you. Okay, I'll be really... Yeah. <laughs> That's the I'll only time I'm ever going to say that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Just really quick, you know, why do we emphasize the ascension? Well, because we, we say, okay, Christ, the Messiah, the God-man, right? He's prophet, priest, and king. And he, he must ascend and be enthroned, and he sits in session right now. That's right. right? As, and he's continuing those roles. So as prophet, he's building his church. He did not fail. Mm-hmm. He did not fail in that. And... And by the way, even they say, right, in their Acts 1 manual, for the 40 days, I was waiting for them to cite Nibley and cite Gnostic texts, but no, they won't do it. Uh, For 40 days following his resurrection, Jesus is teaching and preparing his apostles to direct the church after 
just as he did anciently, he continues to direct his church. You want to say, wait, so did he fail? Did he not teach them well enough? Uh, right? I mean, you have to say he failed. No, he's over heaven and earth. He's not failing, yeah. right? Maybe our expectations are wrong rather than his plan, right? So he's he is building the church now as prophet right now. He's interceding in heaven on our behalf right now as priest. He is the great high priest. Notice in Hebrews, if you actually read the text, there's only one high priest. It's not quorums, not quorums speculating about, you know, Bruce or McConkie. It's one high priest, Jesus Christ. He is king right now. He's reigning over all yeah. right now. That's our view. And and that and therefore he sends the spirit. And that's how Acts 1 ties into Acts 2, right? Yeah. Where he sends the life-giving spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You might say, God, come again. <laughs> yeah. God, come again, right? But with the particular personal properties of the third person of the Godhead. And there you see what would a partial restoration of that kingdom. And this is something that if you know Ezekiel 37, right, the work of the Spirit, writing the law in our hearts, and then uniting Israel again. We see this. We see Jews at the day of Pentecost, right, all the, from all these nations, from all over the known world. This is Ezekiel 37. My friends, Ezekiel 37 is not about the Book of Mormon. It's not about the Book of Mormon. It's not about all these tribes that a fake patriarch is going to give you a fake blessing that's going to tell you you're a part of. No, no, no. We see it here. We see, right, Christ reigning in the heavens, sending the Holy Spirit and uniting this new Israel, yep. just as Ezekiel had prophesied yep. in Ezekiel 37. Now that goes into Acts 3, where they emphasize, right, they emphasize priesthood authority and their experience. Listen to how they frame it. Pre Peter, healing of the layman, right, using priesthood authority. Using priest, no, it's not his authority. Mm -hmm. It's not his priesthood That's authority. Right. Christ is the priest. Yeah, well, wasn't it interesting that they put Matthew 28 in that video, yes. but they left out the part where Jesus says, all, all authority, authority in heaven and me. earth has been given to me. me. They skip that completely, and they Com start, yep. go, go there for yeah. yeah, teach them eternal progression. And, yeah. You know, the because they're trying to say are, that, yeah. that Jesus left, and now it's up to Peter, right? Right. Right, and then so so that's like a, a the authority is being passed on to Peter. Right, right, yep. and and if you're Hugh Nibley, is that teaching secret names of all these angels and Gnostic heavens? Is it teaching like Brigham Young did, the curse of Ham? No, yeah. it's not that. Let's it's, just be clear: uh, Jesus has all authority. We have no authority. Yes, I I, I heard a uh, a well known pastor that uh, someone had asked him at a Q and A. And, and this is a pastor that I, I greatly respect. I'll say his name, John MacArthur. Why not? Yeah. But uh, I've got some disagreements with him, but overall, very much respect him. But uh, someone asked him, you know, what, why or how much authority does a pastor have in the church? And uh, John MacArthur just said, the pastor has no authority. And his point was the pastor has no inherent authority. Inherent, yeah. Um, and, and he went on to say the authority is the Bible. Mm -hmm. That's where the authority is. And so if a pastor is going to say anything authoritatively, he better be saying what the Bible says. Right. Um, because he has no authority in and of himself. And that's mm -hmm. our claim. Yes. You know, human, no man has authority, mm -hmm. inherent authority. Right. Um, Jesus is the one who has all authority. Exactly, exactly. And I love how, um, I'm not saying MacArthur and John Calvin exactly agree on the nature of church authority Exactly right, precisely. But I like how Calvin's Institutes talks about the seat of Peter, 
um, and saying, no, 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 this is the council, this is the church deliberating upon the scriptures, right, for new situations. Mm. So he's saying that it does, but once again, it's not ever apart from the, the spirit is never apart from the word in Christianity, true Christianity, never, right? Even in the creed, right? He spake by the prophets. It's not like Isaiah had inherent authority either. That's right. His authority is imparted through the spirit, That's right? right. And um, even back then. So, yeah, I mean, but here you can see the consequences of this idea that he uses his priesthood authority, and then Peter heals the man, and then that experience gave Peter opportunities to testify of Jesus. Notice at what point Jesus comes into this equation. He uses his authority, right, heals a man. That experience gives Peter opportunities later on. And they say there's a truth in here, right, that, of course, through faith, and we've talked about that several times, but but listen listen to this. How can I access the Savior's healing power? And of course, if the word power is in it, you know they're going to go to Nelson. And sure enough, right? He says this: afflictions can come from spiritual as well. Sorry, phys- spiritual as well as physical causes. He then cites Alma the Younger. At such times, how can we be healed by Him? We can more fully repent. We can become more fully converted. Then the Son of Righteousness can more fully bless us. See that. That's when Christ can bless us, when we do our part, right? By his healing hand, faith, repentance, baptism, and testimony, and enduring conversion lead to the healing power of the Lord. I just want to say, is that what happened with the lame man that you, you literally are basing your manual on? Did Peter go up to him and say, hey, have you done all these things? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me, I, ha- I think I have enough faith, right? I think I have enough righteousness. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see, let's see if this magic ritual will work. Mm-hmm. Nope, not how it worked. Okay, now the the thing I, I I really, you know, I'll put stuff in the show notes to make up for the the you know how little time we have left. But they focus on Ananias and Sapphira as about covenants, of course, and they say they say that the early saints practiced something called the law of consecration. Now there is some, I think, especially to the American church, you know, in a more individualistic culture, they're. There are some tough lessons, you know, we, sh- we probably should learn from the early church. At the same time, um, the way the left will abuse them, right, by, uh, you know, bringing that kind of thing into a political system, you know, I'm, I'm just as skeptical of as anybody. But at the same time, um, I mean, look at Kenneth Copeland. That's the denial of the, the truths taught here, right? Um, so... They, they, their law of consecration, they, they literally commit everything they own to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints twice in the temple. Yeah. And it, it's the idea that um, you voluntarily dedicate your time, talents, material wealth to the establishment and building up of the church and, and the kingdom. And then, of course, we've covered before that those aren't the same thing in early Mormonism, but they're treated the same thing now. And... Um, but the the way they frame it here is, of course, becoming like the Savior through living the law of consecration. Um, and then they jump to Ananias and Sapphira and say, Ill, this illustrates the importance of honesty in keeping our covenants with God. Um, and David Ridges does this as well, says this story is a warning against being dishonest with church leaders. And I want to say, yeah, uh, should be honest, uh, but... How many times have church leaders been dishonest with LDS people? Right? How many times have they said, oh, the seer stone doesn't exist, even though they know it exists? Yep. How many times have they hid, obfuscated, lied about their own history? Yep. 
And just because they're being a little more transparent now, and in some cases a lot more transparent now, and then rhetorically shifting the terminology, you'd be like, oh, we haven't hidden it. No, you have. Yeah. You have. Joseph Fielding Smith did cut out, out of Joseph Smith's journal, other First Vision accounts and yep. hit it. Yep. You know, we, we know this happened. They they wanted to hide and control their own history. They didn't realize the internet was coming. Yep. Um, and I just want to say, for all that talk of honesty, for all the talk of honesty, how many times they have been dishonest. Yeah. And the way they justify that because of their imagined priesthood authority is just unreal. And yeah. I know there's a lot of people that will be defensive of that, but there's going to be a lot of people out there that totally know the pain and anger that I'm talking about. Yeah. It comes from recognizing these men who claim to speak for God have lied to me. Yeah. Absolutely lied to me. Yep. Brigham Young didn't teach that. Really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. I've got all 26 volumes of journal discourses. How many quotes will it take for you to say that was a lie? Yeah. Right? And and so I just, that. And now this covenants thing, they say, while we do not understand why the consequences were so severe in this case, we do know the serious nature of breaking covenants with God, and then laughably they cite Romans 6. Um, really, you don't understand why the consequences were so severe. And let me let me just, uh, and I have more here than I'm going to share, of course, but, uh, you know, they, <laughs> let me just read this from Brigham Young. Let me suppose a case, this is Brigham Young, president of the LDS Church, Suppose you found your brother in bed with your wife and put a javelin through both of them. You would be justified, and they would atone for their sins and be received into the kingdom of God. I would at once do so in such a case, and under such circumstances, I have no wife whom I love so well that I would not put a javelin through her heart, and I would do it with clean hands. There's not a man or woman who violates the covenants covenants yeah. made with their God that will not be required to pay the debt. The blood of Christ will never wipe that out. Your own blood must atone for it. Brigham Young, president of the LDS Church, taught that. I mean, tons. In fact, those who know, in the temple, they used to have bloody oaths. And they then, um, you know, softened it a little bit, including the slitting of throats. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and even the, I mean, even the contradiction and the irony of Joseph Smith trying to sleep with other people's wives, <laughs> right. right? So, you know, he's the kind yeah. of guy who should have had a javelin run through his heart. I guess so. And, and of course, Parley Pratt was notoriously uh, killed in Arkansas for marrying some dude's wife. Yeah. Uh, they don't tell you that part, but they, and early Mormons saw him as a martyr. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and keep this, they, they even read this into the new Testament, um, this is uh, Hebrew C. Kimball, a member of the LDS First Presidency, one of Brigham Young's guys, um, discoursed December 13th, 1857, said, Judas, let's bring in Judas here, lost that saving principle, and they took him and killed him. Who's the they? The apostles. Mm-hmm. Early Mormon leaders taught yeah. that the apostles enforced the oaths that they imagined into the early church that included, if you violate these um covenants you will lose your life he says they actually kicked him until his bowels came out Mm. i will suffer my bowels to be taken out before i will forfeit the covenant i've made with him and my brother do you understand me judas was like salt and had lost its saving principles good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men this is their apostle that was restored remember the restored part yeah this is what they're teaching it is so with you ye elders of israel when you forfeit your covenants, I know the day is right at hand when men will forfeit their priesthood and turn against the covenants they have made, and they will be destroyed as Judas was. Mm. 
Like I said, there were there was not only an oath of vengeance against the United States that even politicians had made. There were these, right? You'd slit your throat, you cut across this, all those things. They took them out, but they used to be in the temple as to symbolize what they deserved if they violated the covenants they made in the temple, yeah. including twice covenanting their time, everything to the LDS church. Mm-hmm. So when they say, it's funny, they say honesty and keeping covenants. They say, while we do not under, you don't understand. I think you guys would be in a pretty good position to understand when you talk about slitting throats yeah. quite often, yep. uh, why the consequences were so severe in this case. How does being honest and keeping covenants help us become like God? Yeah, I mean, it's this is uh, to me, honesty would be, I don't know, dealing with that history. Yeah, it's so it's just ironic, right? They always throw in this, this kind of thing where you're like, really, what you you put honesty next to that? Yeah, when you you yourselves, and if, if the Tanners are right, they did enforce this at times. Yep, yep. I and I think the the hurt and the pain that comes when people finally reckon with the fact that they've been lied to. Yeah often leads people, as we've said and seen over and over again, into atheism and agnosticism. Like, I just want nothing to do with anything that looks like organized religion. I, mm-hmm. I'm out, right? And the hardest thing is an evangelical Christian trying to deal with this, this LDSism is the fact that they're using the truth. They're using true testimony in the Bible and are eisegeting their own worldview into it and are twisting it in whatever they want it to be. Case in point, the point on Judas being beat up by the apostles. How about no? Like, no, it doesn't, it says, it says very clearly how Judas died. He went and hanged himself. Right. Um, So how many things are you just going to let somebody twist and thwart and add? And that's so difficult because there is truth. There is truth. The word of God is true. Mm-hmm. You just got to get all the junk out that you've been taught over the years that has been inserted into the text. Uh, there's so many things that an LDS person will read between the lines that's not there. And you just need to read what's there and understand what's there um, and hold fast to it. But anyway, right. it's I, tough. It, it's way tough. I, I, I'm shooting from the hip here, so hopefully this lands. But when I look at the post-Mormon world, which is largely agnostic atheist, if they deal with the Bible, it's typically Bart Ehrman or worse, like mythicism. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, when, when you're trained to be a lifeguard. I can barely swim, so this wouldn't, of course, apply to me. But uh, when you're trained to be a lifeguard, right, and you're, you're diving to save someone, what's the first thing you're supposed to do, right? Is it just you know, come at them from the front? No, because they grab onto you and they'll drown you. Mm-hmm. And um, that, to me, that's such a powerful image of trying to help somebody see the truth about Mormonism without destroying any belief in the supernatural, any belief in the divine, any trust of a text, any trust of authority at all. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, it it seems impossible at times. And I know that's being too pessimistic. All things are possible to God. Uh, I'm, I'm here. Um, yeah. But I would be a liar if I weren't to say sometimes it feels almost impossible <laughs> to, to try to carefully be like, okay, how do I destroy your faith in a 
awful religion. Mm -hmm. Like it totally, like I, I seriously, I do not talk this way about Hinduism. They don't pretend to be Christian. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. I don't talk this way about a lot of religions, right. That I have a lot more sympathy toward the people of and toward the leadership of, because they're not, doing this. They're not claiming to be the restored original church, they're not claiming to be apostles on the same level. They're not claiming fake translations that aren't translations yeah. to be on the same level as genuine ancient texts. Even if we debate the historicity of blah, 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 points, right? Genuine ancient texts from genuine ancient languages, not, you know, fake Egyptian, fake stuff. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm so grateful there's people like you out here, that there's yeah. mission teams like the one here out here that care and love for these people yep. that are absolutely living in a lie. And it's a lie that is not only foisted on them, though that's partly true, but it's a lie they love. We had a guest in our uh, services Sunday who grew up LDS and, uh, and uh, he came into contact with a radio show that I do here and heard the truth of the gospel. Wow. There, and the Lord saved him. And uh, I, I preached this text from Colossians that I'm going to close this on by reading. But the phrase I want you to hear is how Paul says, the gospel came to you. He personifies the gospel, and he says, you, you didn't come to the gospel. You didn't do the gospel. You didn't learn the gospel through obedience to the laws and commandments and ordinances thereof. The gospel came to you. And, and saved you. And it was so neat just hearing him say, that's what happened to me. Like, I wasn't looking for that. The gospel came to me. And uh, the Bible has a way of discerning exactly how things occur in the life of every true Christian. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth.